0: I'm going to pray for us this morning, and uh, then we'll get started in our time in God's Word. Oh, Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity and privilege that you have given us to come together as your church, to worship your name, to make much of you and who you are and how you're working, God. And Father, I pray that as we look into your word this morning, specifically as we look into your word and gain an understanding or better understanding of what the church is and what exactly you're doing in and through us, Father God. I pray that we would be encouraged and equipped. I pray that we would be challenged. And um, God, that we would desire to be the people That You have called us to be. That You have brought us into an amazing family and covenant through the power of Your Son living for us and dying for us. I pray, God, that as we see what Your Word says, that our hearts would be set aflame and ablaze. Or a passion for the church that's been like no other in our life. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, um, my name is Thomas Hudson. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am uh, preaching for us and starting a new mini series for us this week. Uh, We just wrapped up the series in Ecclesiastes and in uh, three weeks or actually four weeks from now, uh, we're going to be starting a new series in the book of Genesis and we'll be in Genesis for a little while. It's a lengthy book, Uh, but we're taking a short little break uh, to to gain an understanding and and uh, and see what God's word says about what the church is and why it's so important. And why do we as God's people, why do we need to know about the church? Um. And so I pray that through these next three weeks, that your understanding, your biblical understanding of the church expands and grows. And so today we're going to start in Ephesians chapter three, verses one through three. Now, I'm sure many of you didn't wake up this morning and put your feet on the ground and go, I'm ready for an ecclesiology lesson. (laughs) Okay, what is even ecclesiology? Is that even an English word, Thomas? Uh, yes it is it 's actually a compound word of two words ecclesia ecclesia uh, and ology uh ology we know a lot like it gets talked on a lot of things biology uh, hematology, all kinds of stuff uh It means simply the study of something uh ecclesia is a word that we find used in the New Testament to describe the New Testament people of God who are believing in the gospel and are called out of the world and into what God is doing now in the new covenant through Jesus Christ living and dying for us. And so Ecclesia and the church, what we see in the New Testament is not a building. It's not a place, it's not a location. It's a people, a people who have been called out for a common purpose under a common banner called the gospel. And what I aim to show you this morning is to see what is that common purpose? Why has God called a people out of the world and into something new and different in the New Testament? Why has He called us out of the world and into local churches? I pray that you see that this morning. And and what I'm aiming to do is to to help us see why the church is so important and amazing. It's not just important. It's not something that needs to be at the top of your to-do list. It is stunning and amazing. And I pray that you see that. And one of the greatest reasons that we should take seriously the thought about the church, an understanding of the church, why should we take seriously ecclesiology? It's because God incarnate in the flesh took it so seriously, so seriously that He died to establish it. So, today is the first series in this mini series. And I encourage you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to read for us verses 1 to 13. God help us see. Paul writes to the Ephesian church, the called out believers in Ephesus For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by working, by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all, The saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that... Which is your glory. Paul, here in these verses in Ephesians 1 through 13, has urged the Ephesians to, to recognize the revealed, or that the revealed mystery of God has united his people and they have a great purpose. And we too, as we read this, we should see the revealed mystery of God within our text today and grasp the purpose for which God has planned the church. Why has God done this great work through his Son? To make a people for himself. And we'll see today two major sections. The first is in verses 1 through 6, and the second we'll see in verses 7 through 13. So let's look at that first section. The revealed mystery of God. And you have little listening guides. I pray that you use those and fill those out. I think they're up here behind me. Uh, So if you miss a slot, uh, they're up there. I'll try to help you fill them in as best as possible. But we want to give you uh, an opportunity to listen well to God's Word this morning. So the revealed mystery of God in verses 1-6. through Paul here is reminding the church in Ephesus that they have heard the mystery. It has come to their ears. And God in His great kindness has used Paul to reveal the mystery that was actually hidden for years. It was a mystery. It wasn't clear to God's people what was He doing? How was He going to fulfill the promises long ago made to Adam and Eve in the garden of a a future seed, a son? How, How was He going to use Abraham's children to be a blessing to all the nations, not just Israel. How was it going to happen? Our Old Testament prophets didn't even know what had been hidden from them as they proclaimed the promises of God's people into captivity, giving them hope, setting hope before Him that there is a future for you. There's a promise that God has made and He will indeed fulfill it, They couldn't fully explain it. But now God has given the apostles, specifically here, Paul, an understanding of the mystery. And Paul realized that by God's grace, how amazing this mystery is. And he makes it known in various ways. He writes about it all over chapter 2. and We're going to see that in just a few minutes. But he's referring to that mystery here in 3 and 4. And this mystery was clearly revealed. It's no longer a mystery. So if you're in here this morning and you're like, what is God doing? I pray from His Word and by His grace, my preaching that your understanding of the church is no longer a mystery. Because it's been clearly revealed by His grace and by the power of the Spirit in verse 5. The language that Paul uses here as he writes about it in this way is which the mystery has been made known, is that it's a a clear testimony to God's work to reveal His plan to establish a new people. And He does this to advance the kingdom. God alone is the one who can hide and reveal such amazing truths. He is sovereign. He is all powerful. And He will accomplish in His time what He has set forth for us to do for His glory. But why did He hide it from Israel? I can't fully explain that. Except for in His sovereign purpose at His divine time, He said, this is when I'll reveal the mystery. This is when the people of God will know. This is when the curtain will be pulled back, and everybody can see what I'm doing. And the, remi- the mystery was revealed to make, and it was made clear in verse 6 what exactly this mystery was. What was God planning to do? Paul reminds his audience that God has set into motion a plan that would include both Jews and Gentiles being bound together in His new covenant people. For the Jews in the audience, in Ephesus and in every other church, this would have been mind-boggling and mind-blowing. They would have texted the little emoji to one another and been like, like... What do you mean, Paul, that Gentiles get the same promises that we get? That's not possible. They're not children of Abraham. They can't trace their family tree back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What are you talking about? Get out of here with that. Because Gentiles don't belong in here. <laughs> if you haven't caught wind yet, you're a Gentile. You were not included in the promise, okay? None of us have any claim to Abraham's lineage. But God has done something amazing to unite and make the same body of two estranged people. We can't overemphasize the significance and importance of verse 6 here. Paul says it three different ways in one verse that there is a now unique togetherness of the people of God. So what does he say? He says they are members of the same body. Again, this is language that Paul has used to describe the church. The church is a body. Everyone have, In Corinthians, he's talking about everyone having giftings and the body working together. So FYI, your gifting is for your person sitting next to you, not for you. Your, your gifting is so that the body can function well together. You're members of the same body. And then he says, uh, you're partakers of the promise. Now this is the one where the Jews would have checked out. They get the same thing that we've been promised for thousands of years that our people have suffered for and they've done nothing but be filthy Gentiles and now they get this? And then he says something astounding. Gentiles are fellow heirs. Fellow Heirs to all the promises of God. That means that you have the same inheritance as the Son of God. You are co-heirs with Christ Jesus. That is astounding. Just read closely some of the Psalms in your time with the Lord and see how over and over and over again God makes promises to His people. Those promises in the Psalms are your promises today because of Christ Jesus and what God has done to unite Gentiles and Jews together. The blessing of the nations That God promised to Abraham, you are a blessed people because you are now His through Christ Jesus, through the power of the Gospel. You are co-heirs with Christ Jesus. And as astounding as it is for the words to come out of my mouth, like I really struggle to say this. I will not lie. Is that I in some way, you in some way, if you believe and trust in Jesus, you are on the same plane as Jesus when it comes to being a child of God. You are a co-heir. You get all he gets. He gets everything. Enemies as his footstool. New heavens and new earth. A place where sin will no longer reign. Complete rule for his glory. We get to be partakers of that. Fellow heirs. And the purpose God has is to demonstrate his grace. To reveal Himself and His wisdom to the world by making a united people. He did this so that His character would be on display for the world to see how loving is God? God can take two groups of people who don't like each other. That's saying it lightly. And put them together. And make them one. And give them the same inheritance. He did this so that the world would see Him and His love. That love we sang about earlier. Oh, how He loves us. This is the plan of God that He's crafted for the unification of His people. I mean, He has accomplished a great feat. Listen to this. He united a people that were set apart and preserved for His own glory to a, with a people who were hopeless and godless. He, he took a people who had the one true God, the rescuer, the physician, and the sustainer, and a people who worshiped mute, false, man-made idols and united them. He took a people who had the hope of forgiveness, the covering for their sins, and a people who were condemned to the pit of hell, who had no home or no hope of reconciliation, and he united them in Christ as their all sufficient Savior. Christ living for us and dying for us was indeed scandalous. But listen to the verses just before this in chapter 2. God took you, Gentile, who believe in him, he took you dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the air, and the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience. You didn't deserve anything, you didn't earn it. you've You've actually done everything to take God's promises, crumple them up, and throw them in the trash can and say, I don't want that, I want whatever I want. 2.3, Two, three, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And God, or but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, you were not lovable. It's God who's amazing because He loved unlovable people dead in our trespasses, made us. He did it. He breathed life into your dead body. You weren't kicking and screaming at the top of the water hoping somebody would throw you a life raft. You were dead and drowned on the bottom of the ocean and God brought you up from the bottom and breathed life, new life into your lungs. And He raises us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Co-heirs, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of how wonderful you are. No! The immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. God. Not as a result of work so that none may boast. You are His people, the church. You are a new dwelling place of the Most High God. The revealer of the mystery that was hidden and His Spirit is in you. Go down to 219. Look there. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You don't need a green card. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Praise and glory be unto His name for that truth built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. God enacted a plan before the foundation of the world not simply to dwell among his people, but to dwell in his people. And he has now accomplished it in Jesus. We don't need temples because you are the temple of God. It Does not mean buildings are useless? They help us see things we can't see because of blinders in our lives. But we don't need buildings to find God. We need the people of God who've been changed by the gospel of God, by the power of Christ, who now are the seat of the Holy Spirit. You can't wrap your mind around that. You were undeserving. You were sinful. You were dead. You did everything to rebel against God. And now He's cleaned you up, made you His own, and His Spirit lives within you. The holy God, whom if we would have walked into the temple in Jerusalem, into the Holy of Holies, we would have vaporized in a second. They tied, even for the most holy men of Israel, they tied a rope around his leg to drag him out if he died when he went in to represent the people of God at the time of the year in which the the high priest went into the Holy of Holies. That God who sits on that Bema seat, is so holy, He has done a great work in us to make us His seat now in our heart. He lives in His people. If you are a child of God, God is in you. And that is a blessing. It's an astounding blessing. It is a glorious mystery revealed to Paul and now to us. And now as His people, we have a responsibility to display His glory and His wisdom and His character to each other and the onlooking world. And one of the greatest ways that we can do this, one of the greatest ways that we can be a display of the glory of God is by being a united people. God set a plan to unite people. Therefore, We should reflect His character and glory in being a united people. Unity is is an implication of the revealed mystery that the Gentiles are now included. Unity is also the character of our God who perfectly is united as one. What what better thing to set ourselves about than to reflect His character of unity? Unity. God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are perfectly unified. We now, by his plan set in the beginning, by the son's work, and now the spirit living within us can be a unified people. We have a privilege and a duty to reflect the unity of our God. But isn't it so true that we're so familiar with disunity today? We experience disunity at work. Our bosses don't like us holding Bible studies. We experience disunity in our home. If only my wife would. Li- I'm sorry. Don't say that. Yeah, I'm sorry. That that was. I need to edit that. Uh, we, we have disunity and division with our extended family. And there are times. There are times. Because Satan hates this. That we are tempted to allow disunity in the church. And I'm not saying, I'm not being accusatory here. God, hate, I mean, Satan hates God's people being unified. I guarantee you, as we work towards unity to be a faithful represent, representation of God in this community. Satan will seek to divide us. As Christians, we are called to recognize that that we are one and one with others who claim Christ as lord as their lord and savior and we share in the same benefits the unity that our lord or that the text reveals to us is not some afterthought of god this unity is at the very heart of god's plan to make himself and his mystery known to those who are estranged from him so i ask are you working towards being united with the people who sit around you The members of the church, are you united with them? Do you actually know them? Do you, need, do you know each other's pains and each other's pleasures? Are you spending time with one another not just simply to have a good time? And there's nothing wrong with that. But, but are you actually getting to know what makes one another tick? It is so easy to fall into echo chambers in our day and time. Young people like to hang out with young people. Married people typically hang out with other married people. Singles with singles, Democrats with Democrats, Republicans with Republicans. And in one sense, I get it. But if we confess Christ. We do not let the distinctions of our culture allow disunity within the body. If we are one with Jesus, we tell the culture we're one with Jesus. We don't let the culture tell us to be divided. Young adults, are you spending time with those of us, and I include myself in this, that are older? To seek wisdom and prayer and counsel about life singles. Do you spend time with married couples and how you can pray for husbands and wives and children who are part of the church? Those of you who are of a more distinguished age, are you inviting young people into your home and into your life that they might that you might learn about them? And how God has made them and equipped them with all of their strengths and even some of their weaknesses. And these are just a a few things that we could be doing to build unity within the church. Getting to know one another so that we love one another and serve one another. Pray for one another. Come alongside one another. Or, are you so bent on having things your way for your comfort? Or the way that you think things ought to be that you promote self and disunity even in unintentional ways. People don't like set out to be disunified. I mean, well, I've met some people who set out to be disunifying, but but most people don't just set out like I'm going to be I'm going to cause problems today. We do it in so many unintentional ways But God has revealed a mystery. A mystery that unifies His people. And if we fail to strive for this unity, then we may very well fail in proclaiming the Gospel to ourselves and to those who need to hear it. Be unified, church. Be unified, Pillar D.C., Promote Christ over self and the Gospel over our own ways in order that God's character and His mystery might be on full display for His glory. And we must not neglect the fact that we are indeed a new people of God. The fact that God alone has made us new creations in Christ should change our outlook on how we do life with one another inside and outside the church. The implications of this type of unity should have effects from the way we evangelize to the way we live as a church family. We must be aware that we are either to mirror Christ or we distort His image. And also, we make it either easy or difficult for those on the outside to come to know Jesus Christ. And although it's undeniable that there are difficulties in the gospel, like the cross, it's a stumbling block to those who are foolish and don't have ears to hear. We ourselves do not need to be a stumbling block. Let us be a unified people of God for His glory. So this is the great mystery that God has revealed. So now what is this grand purpose for which He has made us? The purpose of the church in 7-13. through Look at there. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Paul again reminds the Ephesians here that he's been made a minister of the mystery. Paul is a minister of the mystery by God's grace. He also informs them that he was given the apostleship for the specific purpose of preaching to the Gentiles so that this mystery might be made known and proclaimed unto the ends of the earth. And he brought this this mystery to light for the Gentiles. To understand and believe. And then he reveals to them the ultimate purpose, why this traumatic and wonderful news has now been unveiled. Verses, verse 10, he writes that all of this has been done because the church, this new unified people of God, who have the gift of faith in Christ, make His wisdom known to the world. The church is to be the display of all of God's glory and all of God's wisdom to see God. I don't know about you. I don't feel like that can be seen in my life at times. I am a display of the infinite wisdom of God. I am a display of His glory. Paul's ministry gives way to the proclamation of the Gospel where God reveals Himself of salvation in the One who unites Jew and Gentile. The grace and power that God demonstrates for salvation brings all into unity in order that His glory and His wisdom might be on display for all to see. Do do you really believe that if someone walks in here and doesn't know God, that they will see His glory and His wisdom in us gathered? They should be able to. Paul wanted everyone to know that the mystery hidden in God that's now been made known reveals that Gentiles are equal with Jewish believers and accepted by God. And this shows his eternal purpose. This wasn't an afterthought of God. He planned it from the beginning. As David Platt says, he's got the whole thing rigged. And Paul encourages them In verses 12 and 13, that they have boldness and access to God of their salvation. And the way that Paul writes this in the original language demonstrates that their access is not some future promise, but it's possible right now in the present time. That you have boldness and access before God. Not because of anything you have done, but because of Christ's faithfulness. Christ was faithful to do the Father's will, to do His bidding, to live for Him and die for His plan to be accomplished. We have this kind of confidence because Jesus was faithful. We have this kind of access because of how powerful His blood actually was. Paul's telling the church that they have a great purpose. Yes, Christ has unified them, but that's not it. Paul also writes to Titus in, church, in chapter two of Titus, in eleven through fourteen, that Paul, yes, or God has yes, indeed, saved them from something, but he, and that is their sin. But he's also saved them to something, namely, reflecting the image of God in their holiness. So now we see that they in the letter of the Ephesians that the Gentiles are united to the Jews into a new people, and they have a great purpose. To display the manifold wisdom of God. So if this is the purpose of our newfound unity. How could we dare be disunified? And aloof of what God has actually called us into. We can't claim ignorance. The the mystery has been made known. And the purpose for that mystery has been made known. Our attitude towards the church should never be that of unappreciation or lack of gratitude of God's handiwork. John Stott, a famous pastor and theologian, said that the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It's not a divine afterthought. It's not an accident in history. The church should be important to us because it was important to Christ. He founded it in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. He purchased it with his, with his blood in Acts chapter 20, verses 28. And he intimately identifies himself with the church in Acts chapter 9, verse 4. The church is the body and the dwelling place of the spirit, the chief instrument for glorifying God in the world. And finally, the church is God's instrument in bringing forth the Gospel to D.C. and the nation. A great host of redeemed humanity has been brought to God as we see in Luke 24 and Revelation 5-9. And this was all to display the wisdom of God. And at the very center of this display of unfathomable, multifaceted wisdom was the unforeseeable wonder of the second person of the Trinity. As Piper writes, united as one person in two natures, divine and human, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what did it look like? Then it was manifested, this wisdom, in unthinkable ways. Born in a little town, laid in a feeding trough, raised in Nazareth. Can anything come out of Nazareth that is good? Uneducated, misunderstood, denied, abandoned, betrayed, mocked, spit on, flogged, crowned with thorns, and finally crucified, all in obedience to the Father according to the plan that was established before the foundation of the world. This was the secret and hidden wisdom of God for so many ages. And unimaginably, all of this weakness and loss was the power and wisdom of God. Unto salvation. For His people. Friends, we have a Savior who through what the world would call weakness submitted Himself to God's perfect law and the perfect plan that they developed before God spoke a single atom into existence to live and die that we, might be His co-heirs. That we might be the people in which the Holy Spirit now lives. That we, upon repentance of our sin and belief in what Jesus has done in living and dying for us, is a truly sufficient, all-sufficient Savior that we can believe and trust in and bank on. That He would reconcile us and make us His people and we would be with Him for all eternity. This is the good news of the Bible. Made possible through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. If you've not repented of your sin, You've not believed and trusted in Jesus that He has done all of this to unite us to the former promises of the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is not irrelevant. A lot of stuff that we're going to be blessed with is tied up in the Old Testament. God made it possible through Christ, through our repentance and faith in Him and what He's done, that we could be with Him for eternity. If you have not believed in Christ and you've not repented of your sins, today can be the day That you repent and believe. Please talk to me or a Christian friend after the service. We'd love to talk to you about what it means to live for God in this revealed mystery. So the church is the place where God now dwells as we see in 1 Corinthians 3. The church should be the place where one can see God. We should be able to manifest His presence in a way that people can see what He's doing and at work among us uniting us, putting His love on display. We're the new people of God. We're dramatically different in appearance and cultural background, but now we are powerfully changed by the good news to be the image of the one true God. God has changed His people in order that they might be the means by which His wisdom, manifold, multifaceted, wisdom might be demonstrated to the onlooking culture and world. And you might be asking yourself, well, Thomas, how's that on display here? I I, I believe that my statement that I'm about to make is not all inclusive of everyone in this room, but there's a lot of what's going on in here and what I'm about to say, because I believe that God's multifaceted wisdom is on display in this room. Young. Old, Hispanic, African-American, white, Mongolian, Anglican, Korean, non-denominational, Methodist and Baptist, former Catholics, languages ranging from Spanish to English to Chinese to Japanese and even Mongolian. God, by His might and power through the Gospel has brought us together, uh, this band of misfits together. Together. So that not any of us would be on display for uh, for any who attends to see, but for us to all see God and His glory, His power to give Him praise. Nothing else on earth or in heaven is so powerful as the gospel. I would venture to say that it... That Outside of probably paying you a large sum of each individually, a large sum of money, there would be no reason for you to gather in this place on this day in history together, other than the power of the gospel at work in your life. So it's true. That's what God's done, it's true that those are the distinctions among us. But we've been united. So how do we display this wisdom? How does it really look? Well, one of the first things it looks like is actually being committed to the work, committed to the people. Maybe you're someone who hasn't just thought of. You haven't just thought about just how important the church is. But God has thought about it and he was all in from the foundation of the world. And we when he brings us out of darkness and into light, he brings us into his family. And that family isn't some weird big thing out there that we can't put our hands on and see. It is you, the people of God, who are members of local visible churches. So we have a membership coming up in membership class coming up in March. If you're thinking about belonging or wanting to Display the wisdom of God in your life as a Christian. I'd encourage you to attend our membership class in March. Oh, or maybe you've attended a membership class and you're like waiting for some reason to join the church. I encourage you to stop waiting, join the church, become a member. It's only for your good and a display of God's glory and his wisdom. I'll meet with you as part of the process. You meet with an elder. I'll meet with you gladly. We would love to have you as a member of our church if you are a professing Christian who's been changed by this great mystery made known through Christ Jesus and through the preaching of the apostles and the preaching of God's word. Also, another way in which we can display God's glory, and Jared mentioned a little while ago that we are entering into a, a little bit of a difficult season. I would say stay when it gets tough. Maybe some of you think you're here for the first time this Sunday and you're like, wait, you guys are about to lose this space? Like, what? Wait a second, what's going on? I don't know if I want to be a part of that. We're at a pivotal moment. <coughs> Where are we going to meet in the summer? We don't know. It could be a hallway upstairs, it could be a building over there, it could be somewhere else in the city. We have no idea. And, and maybe that causes you a little bit of anxiety. A little bit of fear creeps into your heart. I don't know if I want to be a part of something like that. Stick around. Let's pray together. Let God unite us and let's see what He will do as we patiently wait upon Him. It doesn't mean it's going to be perfect and work all out and we're going to be. We want to see what the Lord is going to do with us. Come and be a part. Stay around when it gets tough. Or maybe another way that it gets tough is that, you know, we're doing life together. And Thomas, you're telling me to be friends with people that. I don't know if I can be friends with, and not only do I don't know if I could be friends with them, but you know, that person ruffled my feathers the other day. Maybe they even sinned against me. And we live in a city where people are so transient, it's so easy to say, nah, not for me. I'll go somewhere else. I don't want to be unified with those people. Brothers and sisters, I'd say stay when it gets tough. Do the difficult thing that Scripture calls you to do. Go to that person. Forgive them. Extend grace and mercy, the same grace and mercy that has been extended to you to restore fellowship and build unity with that person. Don't keep them at an arm's distance thinking it's like okay. That's not okay Christianity, and that's not what we're after. We're after doing life together to display God's wisdom. So maybe when you do the hard thing, you actually end up growing more exponentially here than you ever have in the church in your life. Because I guarantee you, no matter what experience you have of the church, good or bad, running or staying, it will be a part of your testimony as you go forward. Why not have your testimony Be one where God grew you and made you bear His image better than you had before. Even if someone sins against you who's sitting right beside you. So instead of it being marked by, instead of this season of your life being marked by running, maybe it might be marked by exponential growth of your faith and maturity in Christ Jesus. One other way that we can display God's glory is by staying when you're the only one. What do, you, what do I mean by that? If you haven't gotten it, we're a new church and we're new at this and we got new people coming all the time, coming and going, okay? But as I've been a part of starting churches, starting this church, But one of the things that happens is people come with families or teenagers and they don't see any other families or teenagers and they're like, what do we do? Stay. Stay. Because in a new work like this, if people don't stay, we're not going to have that thing. If everyone leaves because no one is here in their life situation around then we're not going to have those people around. Stay and let's see how God uses you to bring people of similar life circumstances to His church to grow this church for His glory. Not for your pleasure and your comfort. For His glory. My hope today is that you would continue to see the sufficiency of God's Word, which He frees us from these feeble thoughts and schemes of man to be pigeonholed and defined by what the culture says. No, our God says who we are. God is speaking to us by His Word. Preparing and working in us to represent Him today so that we might see Him tomorrow. A congregation of repentant sinners who trust in Christ alone for salvation, fulfilling their responsibilities and duties that Christ has commanded by His Word, regularly meeting together, led by godly elders, served by godly deacons, is a picture of what God has given this world to see as His people. Are we going to be that people? Are we going to rise to the occasion to be that people? Consider then again, Ephesians 3.10 God's intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities of the heavenly realms according to His eternal purposes He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you with Him? Are you against Him? This is what God is doing. This is the grand purpose of God in the church in making and uniting a people. This was the purpose of the mystery revealed. We see that God revealed a mystery. Gentiles are now allowed in to be a part of the body of Christ. To partake in the promises of God of old and of new. And This happens when we both trust in Jesus, repenting of our sins, and taking up God's eternal purpose for His people. Let us who claim Christ as our Lord and Savior display the glory of one another or the glory of God to one another and to the world. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer and then Jared is going to come and lead us in the Lord's Supper. Oh God. What wisdom. What glory. What majesty, what power. We've only had a foretaste. God, I pray that you, as our good God in heaven, who loves us and unites us with all the faithful people of the past, that we would be a faithful display of your wisdom and your glory to the onlooking world. God, we need your help. We can't do this alone but we know we have the Spirit in us. And I pray by His that we would faithfully represent You to the onlooking world. I pray these things in the powerful, sufficient blood of Jesus, believing them to be so, God. Amen.